Welcome to another episode of Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Matt Breen. Bob Brookover is back. Scott Walber is back. Reese Hoskins is not here. Gabe Kapler is not here, but we still have a special guest. <laughs> Mike Sielski, sports columnist from the Inquirer, joined us here today after opening day. Mike the groan. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. It is uh, a pleasure to be here. I didn't get to see you in uh, Clearwater, so uh, this was cool. Thanks for having me. So we're, we're recording this episode from the Phillies press box after opening day, after Phillies win over the Braves. I think the biggest takeaway for me from this game was that the lineup did exactly what the Phillies envisioned it would do all winter, which is to be deep, to be more than just Bryce Harper, to be more than just Reese Hoskins, which is what it really was last year. It was Reese Hoskins and nobody else. And that perfect moment of they, the Braves intentionally walked Bryce Harper with the base, to load the bases with no outs for uh, Reese Hoskins, and he, he hit what you almost envisioned was going to happen, like grand swim there. Bob, how deep do you think this lineup is this is this what the lineup is a deep lineup like this one through eight that can produce and do you agree that the Braves should have walked Bryce Harper? I asked Reese Hoskins after the game what would he have done in that situation if he was the Braves manager would he have walked Harper or would he would he have pitched to Harper and, and you know then also had to pitch to to Reese anyway and Reese said I'm just glad I don't have to make the decision and that's going to be a tough decision for every manager and as Reese put it afterwards it's not just Welcome Bryce Harper to get to Reese Hoskins. We saw it earlier in the game, you know, where Mike Alfranco came up in a huge situation, and you had the pitcher on, you had the pitcher up next, and Mike Alfranco connects for a three-run home run. There's no break in this lineup. Uh, I don't know if it's the best lineup in baseball because the Yankees is awful good, but it's it's right up there as one of the best lineups in baseball because it's it just. From one to eight. I mean, the, the middle of the, the the end of the Phillies order was the middle of their order last year. And how many teams would take the middle of the Phillies order from last year? I, I know the Marlins would. So it's it's relentless. Best lineup in baseball. We were uh, before the game. Scott and I were talking about guys that have played for the Phillies the last few years, and just these names that you either forgot about or you really didn't even remember. Cedric Hunter started on opening day. Scott pointed it out a couple years ago, and, and now now you're talking about a possible best lineup in baseball. And not to get too ahead of ourselves, but I, I don't think the statement you made was all that crazy. I'm not ashamed to say I've never heard of Cedric Hunter. I, <laughs> until today, I didn't know who he was. I actually looked at the lineup and went, Hunter? Like, was that, like, Brian Hunter? Like, who is that? So, I mean, I've never heard of the guy, and that was Matt Klintak's first opening day lineup. I was looking at the 2016 opening day lineup, and – those were the kind of guys that were in there. What I thought was interesting about today was, for all we've made of all the newcomers, and Andrew McCutcheon did hit a home run to lead off the first inning for the Phillies. Segura reached base twice with a couple of infield hits. Um, so not to diminish what those guys did, but, you know, it was the old reliables. It was the Cesar Hernandez's and the Michael Franco's and the Odubel Herrera's who really got things going when, you know, in those middle innings when they, it was 1-1 and, couple of singles in a row by by Hernandez and Herrera makes it 3-1 and then Franco breaks it open and there you go and so it was kind of like the guys who survived this rebuild for the last three and a half years who really delivered today which I thought was kind of there was something kind of like poetic about that because these guys have been through so much losing and so much disappointment that you know they get a chance to enjoy a day like today too and maybe 
you know, I think if they're being honest, I don't think all three of them thought that they'd necessarily be here for a day like today. So that was kind of cool, I thought. You know what you're describing, Scott? It's like uh, those guys are the Robert Covingtons and T.J. McConnells of the Phillies, basically. To kind of broaden this out. I mean, yeah. I think people forget how much the Phillies, you know, if you look at the franchises in town, the, the NFL is a different animal because you can rebuild in a year with the way the salary cap is structured there. But think about what the Phillies in particular and the Sixers and the Flyers who are still going through this had to do. I mean, they basically had cleared the decks of what they had. That's how you get Cedric Hunter starting on opening day, you know, and people wondering who, the, who in the world is Cedric Hunter and, you know, the day he starts, let alone two or three years after. So, um, you know, it's, it's if you're a Phillies fan, and it's got to be exciting just to see what the possibilities are. You know, who knows what's going to happen with the season. But as Matt said, you saw what you saw today. This is the way it's supposed to play out. And the guy who is signed for 13 years and $330 million dollars was in the middle of it all, and he didn't hit the ball out of the infield. Well, you you watch this team through spring training kind of with a different view than we had, and we had talked a lot in spring training about the expectations that, that we had for the Phillies, and the three of us were in agreement that this was a playoff team, but I, I, it's kind of, you know, I think you, you bring a different view. You're not, you weren't with the team every day. You're kind of maybe able to better see the big picture than we are. What were your expectations coming into opening day? I think they're a 90 to 95 win team, provided that uh, the back, you get something of quality and improvement from the back end of the rotation, and provided that the bullpen is a little bit better than it was today. It got hit pretty hard. You know, Robinson, there were some line drives hit off David Roberts, Robertson. Um, you know, we saw Hector Naris again struggle a little bit. Um, but I love the lineup. Um, I love the middle of that lineup. I love the fact that. Harper and Hoskins are the kind of hitters that they are. You know, they are patient hitters. I actually, I got Hoskins by himself um, after the press conference and talked to him for a while about this, um, about the, the skill it takes, and it's a learned skill to be able to take pitches and still hit your pitch um, when you get it, because you're not going to get it very often. And that's really, that's a mode and a role that Harper's going to be in all season. You know, he's going to get intentionally walked until teams decide, okay, it's not worth it to face Reese Hoskins anymore. Um, they're, gonna, they're not going to throw him a lot of pitches out of the stri- in the strike zone because they're going to get him to try to chase, and he's going to let him go by, and they'll get 130 walks that way. Um, but you see that, and you see what Aranola on a bad day can do, and you see what Nick Pavetta, in terms of talent, can do. And, you know, I, I, I'm very optimistic about what this team can be, not just because of changes in and of themselves to a team that won 80 games last year, but the nature of the guys they brought in. A guy like McCutcheon, a Segura, people like that. These are pros. You can see it. And uh, and I think Philadelphia has reason to be very optimistic. One of the things, even before the intentional walk, the intentional walk got the attention because it was followed by the grand slam. But even before that, the way Harper was pitched to today, he, he his first time up, he saw a first pitch fastball for a strike. The next eight pitches from Julio Taranoi were sliders, eight straight sliders. And a couple of times Harper got, himself, Harper got himself out in that second at bat because he was chasing him. He, you could tell he wanted to really do something. Uh, but the, the what that does for a lineup is you can't throw a hundred sliders. You just can't continue to throw sliders. You know, so if you want to throw nothing but sliders to Bryce Harper, you got, you got Reese Hoskins coming up next and JT Vermuto after that. 
and you're going to have to throw some fastballs sooner or later. And and when you do, you're going to get hurt you're, unless you're throwing them in, in great locations because this this team is built to hit fastball pitchers. Yeah, I think the Phillies were like, go ahead, walk Bryce Harper, go ahead, pitch around Bryce Harper because it's not last year when Reese Hoskins had nobody batting behind him. Bryce Harper has Reese Hoskins, who has JT Romuto and so this, on. Th- this was the exact model of modern-day baseball, actually. I think what the Phillies finished was seven hits, I think. Uh, seven hits and ten runs, and the walks just, you know, the walks came through, and, and three home runs. The walks came through on the power. It's That's the way modern-day baseball is built. And you know what? If you're going to score ten runs, it's a pretty good model. But modern-day baseball, see Bryce Harper's cleats? The whole day, it was like it was fun. You it was psychedelic. Fun the whole thing was psychedelic. Like there was like the cleats. There was all the red, the big American flag. There was the booing. You know when he gets intentionally walked. There was a little bit of booing after he struck out the second time. There was the huge cheer after the Hoskins grand slam. It was just there was a ton of stuff today. It was really kind of you know it was. It was exciting all, and weird. It was all over the It place. was all the amusement park. It was all the amusement park rides. It yeah. wasn't just a roller coaster. It was all the rides. It was everything. Would Babe Ruth wear Philly Fanatic cleats? Well, no, because the Philly Fanatic wasn't around. Let me give you a little history. <laughs> the <laughs> Philly Fanatic came along like roughly around 1979. You weren't born yet, but no, he wouldn't have. You know, and that is old school to wear Philly Fanatic cleats because he <laughs> has been around since 1979. Mike Schmidt was here. Old story, pal. Bre- Breen doesn't think the sun shines until he I'm gets up. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He would. He would. His whole pregame meal would consist of hot dogs, though. And I don't think. I don't think Bryce Harper ate hot dogs before the game today. So, that's that's modern baseball. No hot dogs. There was so much made this week about Gabe Kapler's lineup. When there's a couple off days before the season, between spring training and opening day, there's not a lot of things to talk about. So people talked about the lineup, and. Andrew McCutcheon batting leadoff was a, a point that people debated. First pitch he swung at, he homered out the left field. He said afterwards that he feels good batting leadoff. He batted leadoff with the Yankees after he went there last summer and had success batting leadoff. And it seems like this year you're going to have a set lineup at least one through five with the Phillies, unlike last year where it was every day you didn't know who was batting leadoff or who was batting eighth if the pitcher was batting ninth even. Bob, what, what, this lineup today – Especially at the top of the order with McCutcheon one, Segura two. Do you think that's the like the ideal order? Uh, you know, Gabe said before the game that he's going to have a more set lineup this year. Uh, and for right now, yes, it's absolutely ideal. I mean, McCutcheon's a big on base guy. He can still run. He's you know he's he's not the same player he was three or four years ago when he was an MVP candidate with the Pirates. But he's still still stud. I love that Segura is not necessarily a big on base guy but he's a contact guy and at some point in that lineup and Ramuto's like that too you need guys that are going to make things happen by putting the ball in play you know get the action sure you get draw the walks but then put the ball in play see what happens even you know Segura didn't you know didn't have really clean hit today but he beat balls out and made things happen that way you know when Odubel and and Cesar got their Cesar got their his big RBI singles in the, I guess that was the third or fourth, whatever, whatever inning was, they, you know, they, they weren't huge, huge smash balls, but they were just timely hits and they were making contact. And it's so important. The one other point I wanted to make, Matt, was what, what the, the most forgotten thing about this day was that Aaron Noah pitched a great game, you know, a, a weird game because you 
walked a career-high five hitters. A year ago, he didn't get through the sixth inning. They brought in Hobie Milner, and it became the whole focal point of well, not the whole focal point because some other things happened. <laughs> but Gabe Kapler's first week became a disaster, you know. And today, Gabe's talking about the uh, he had, the taking Noel out for sixty-eight pitches was only the story for like twenty-four hours because of what right. happened two days later. Right. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> also <laughs> involving Hobie Milner. <laughs> and then that was only the story for like another forty-eight hours because of what happened two days after that. Excellent point. But anyway, after. 99 pitches in six innings today. You know, he, he had struggles for the second inning, through 29 pitches in the second inning, but then got through six, kind of dominating after the second inning. And, and Gabe said, I was thinking about keeping him in at 99 pitches, which shows you how much their relationship and, and his trust in, in, in Noel has grown, which it should because he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I don't know if we knew this at the, we, I don't think we knew it at the time, at least, but. You know, I was talking to Nola last week. He His last spring training start was on the minor league field, and he came off. It was really, you know, it was just a few of us around him, um, three of us, I think. And, and, you know, we were able to kind of have a conversation with him for a little while, and we were talking about that start last year. And he said when it was over, he's like, we he, Gabe, had a conversation about it. And, and it was essentially like, listen, I'm ready. You can turn me loose. I'm ready for this. And all he did the rest of the year was prove it because, you know, I had to look back and then I had to look up, look it up again because I almost didn't believe it. His numbers last year, I mean, his numbers were great no matter what. But like the third time through an order, he was better than he was the first and second time through an order. And, you know, you saw that today. I mean, a day where he clearly didn't have his best command. He walked the five guys, didn't really have a ton of easy innings. And in the first start of the year... They let him throw 99 pitches, and like you said, Kapler would have let him keep going, you know, if, 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 you know. So, I mean, it just shows you, like, you know, how in, in the span of a year, how much his sort of reputation has grown as a guy who can go deep into games, even when he doesn't have his best stuff. And on a day like today, or, or really any day that Nola pitches, I mean, you don't need the offense to go crazy the way it did today. It's going to be you know, those other four days where you're going to want them to score a lot of runs. And it kind of reminds me a little bit, we've talked about this throughout the spring, of, of those of those early teams, uh, 07, 08, when they started to get great um, in that era. I mean, those teams were built on their offense. And it feels like this team's going to be the same way, built around its offense, hope it has enough pitching, and, and that's how they're going to win games. We were talking about the lineup, and one point I'll make off of what you said, Bob, about Segura. He's the one that really that I'm really interested in because he's so unlike so many of the other guys. You talked about Hoskins and sees a lot of pitches, is not afraid to take a walk. Harper clearly is not afraid to walk when they're not giving him anything to hit. Segura is the, the contact guy and a guy who doesn't really fit what modern offenses like to do, which is draw walks and then hit the ball out of the ballpark. He puts the bat on the ball, and I had a conversation with him about it in spring training about his contact rate. And he really takes a lot of pride in that. He said because if you if you make contact, anything can happen, and you saw that today. He made contact a couple of times and reached on infield hits, and they led to big things. So, you know, having him in the two-hole between McCutcheon and Harper, who see a ton of pitches, I think that's a great configuration. So it also splits up right and left. So, you know, I have no problem with the way the lineup looked today, and, you know, it was kind of what I thought it was going to look like coming out of spring training. I think we've reached the, the obvious conclusion here. That this team is going 161 and one, 
And the only game they're losing is Vinny Velasquez's first start. <laughs> and they, t- they send him down, and then the rest is, you know, cream cheese and cupcakes. Right. I just got excited because you said conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> I had them at 162 and up, so I was wondering what game they were going to lose. Yep. And hey. And then I found out. Yeah. Last thing. So they're off Friday. They play Saturday. Nick Pavetta Saturday. Uh, Jake Arrieta Sunday. And I know people are going to laugh. I know I just said Saturday. But, uh, Saturday. 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 Where are you from again? So, who are you more intrigued to watch pitch? Pavetta or Arietta? Pavetta's got, you know, this, such a high ceiling, but I think Arietta, we were talking, me and Scott before the game today, that, or Murphy, either somebody, it was Scott, not, not David Murphy, about how important Arietta is to this team and how important it is to have, if, if you do end up having two elite starting pitchers. I, if I could just say, I would have been really interested in seeing Pavetta pitch Sunday night. Like, in a way, I'm disappointed that they flip-flopped the two. I would have been intrigued to see how Pavetta handles a big primetime start on the opening Sunday night baseball game. Having said that, I want to see how Arietta does. Like, may- maybe I'm crazy about Pavetta in a, you know, maybe I'm wrong about him. I like him, and I think he's going to pitch pretty well this season. Um but Arietta, I want to see like this whole arm slot thing that he claims is the issue in his knee and all that kind of stuff. He's more, even more than Pavetta for me. Arietta is a proof in the pudding guy, and I want to see it from him. I'm I'm more excited to see uh, more offense because the Phillies caught a break coming out of this, coming into the series. The Braves are a really banged up team. They're pitching two young kids in the in the next two games. You know they, they didn't get to pitch their ace in their opening game. Uh, you know, it's incumbent on Philly's offense to keep this going because it's a chance to take advantage of a team that's down right now. That coming out of the gate, I'm a I'm a big Arietta is the key to the whole thing kind of guy. I I just think you know we focus so much on Pavetta, Eflin, and Velasquez because they're the three unproven, well, relatively speaking, unproven guys. But for me, Arietta is the key to the whole thing because if Arietta is uh, back to being you know, like the guy he was in April and June last year, I think it was April and June that he had really good months, then then you're fine. But if he's more the guy in August and September, well, I mean, now they have to go out before the trade deadline in July and get, them, get themselves a number two starter. And that's a whole lot different than getting yourself like a number four or a five or a guy who can sort of round out the back end. So I'm really interested to see with the new arm slot and the new knee and all, all these things that he talked about in spring training, if Arietta is really back to being a guy that they can really truly trust behind Aaron Nola, because if, if, if he's not, they've got some problems. All right, that's it for another episode of Extra Innings. I'm Matt Breen for Bob Brookover, for Scott Lover, and special guest Mike Sielski. Thanks for listening. If you're not subscribed, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, Extra Innings, which will be in your inboxes Monday through Friday throughout the season, possibly into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. If they go 161-1, and I think they will make the playoffs. You can subscribe at philly.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.